or Football at Four with Adam Kaplan, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, time now for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. NFL insider Adam Kaplan is with us today. Football at Four is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now and they'll match your first deposit up to $250. lot to get into on today's edition of Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, as Adam Kaplan joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Adam, I feel like it's been a while since I've spoken to you. It is, but now, you know, my friend, how, how was your vacation? Did you get anything done? What were you doing while you were away? Uh, I did a little this and that. I got some things done. I did actually get some. I, just, I hung out on the beach for a couple of days, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But uh, you know, it was hard because there's so many, there's so much going on. There's Sixers, Flyers. Of course, I know. <laughs> well, look, I, as I was telling uh, Josh Henning, I was like, look, man, enjoy the Sixers while you have it. It's not going to last very long. Now the Flyers are hanging in there. Uh, they're they're entertaining us. The Phillies are frustrating us, and so are the Sixers. So, guess what? This is South Jersey Philly sports for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. Uh, yesterday, 0 for 3 for all the teams, but the Eagles oh, are back, yeah. and uh, it's yeah. funny. Uh, let me ask you this. is a guy who's been around football, covered football. Sure. August is usually football. Like We are, like, thirsting, ready for the regulars. Do you feel that football is kind of, like, lost in the sauce a little bit because of everything? No, not, not really. Look, yeah, you're right. We would have preseason games in which this is just odd that we're not having them, but we, we don't have them. Um, no, I mean, look, there's – there's still players out there. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe is still out there. I mean, he's he's part of the Jaguars, but he hasn't signed his franchise tag. He he, he wants to be out. Uh, you've got Jadavian Clowney. He's still out there. But if we would have had preseason games, that certainly would have added some excitement. Uh, but, yeah, it, you're right. It's different, but it's not completely devoid of, of intrigue. And, you know, remember, Mike, we're less than four weeks from the start of the regular season. It's amazing to me. It is, and we got a lot. Doug Peterson spoke today. Uh, let's start with this. Miles Sanders injury update. Doug said he's comfortable. I mean, Boston Scott hurt too. Sanders week to week. But Doug kind of indicated today that he does not have any thoughts about bringing someone in. Do you? Uh, does your intel concur with what he says? Yeah, well, let's start with the injury, Mike. Miles Sanders, I'm told, is going to be fine. Um, it's a leg injury. Uh, they're not saying what it is, but... Uh, I'm told by a couple people, nothing to worry about. It'll be ready for week one. Uh, I, I just get the sense here they're doing what they did last year when Sanders had dual hamstring injuries. Remember, they shut him down for the offseason. They w- would not let him practice after the rookie minicamp. He never actually had OTA practices for two months. And that was a smart move. They were being proactive with it, not letting him have a setback. And as you know, he wound up being ready for training camp, and he clearly bid out Jordan Howard for the starting job. So from what I understand, and I'm told, uh, nothing to worry about here. But it was odd, though, the, the wording that they used in their little injury report week to week. I don't see it that way. I think it's more day-to-day. What is with the injury reports? What the, it's like a hockey injury report. <laughs> yeah, that was surprising. Now, okay, this started with Doug Peterson last summer. He was asked about injuries, and he's like, lower body, upper body, lower body. And you just mentioned hockey. I don't know that he got it from there, but he started that. Now, in his first year with the Eagles in 2016, he really gave out too much information. He, he just didn't know what the protocol was. He would just give out, what, if you asked a question, even if it would reveal too much, he, he would give it out. And that kind of would stop over time, particularly after they won the Super Bowl in 17. 
uh, he gave out less and less information. Still one of the better, though, around the National Football League about giving information. But it's been less and less and less over time. What's going on with the quarterback room? Carson, Wayne, Carson Wentz, Nate Sudfeld, Jalen Hurts, any update on those three out on the field? Yeah, Hunter, Wentz has had a spectacular camp. Uh, he's up to 250 pounds. This is the most he's, he's been. He's good. Now, the story clearly has been Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a guy that had some just some issues with mechanics. Uh, the, the senior ball, he wasn't great there. That's why it was so surprising that uh, he went in the second round, but He's off to a great start. Now, I will tell you, the way that they're using him is not as a traditional drop-back quarterback like, like Carson. They're moving him around in the pocket, letting him throw on the run. You know, he's a mobile quarterback, and that's the way you should manage him. It's been quite comfortable, but just let's not forget here, Mike, Mike brought up how football's been different. He's not getting a preseason where he's missing all those reps. He missed two months of off-season reps in their off-season program because no one's allowed to practice. So I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves. I know people, the, the fans are going crazy with the reports that are out there from the reporters who are going to be there. By the way, I'll be there next week. Uh, Nate Sudfeld is the real story here. Uh, in, our, in our latest Inside the Birds, I really detailed his struggles. He's, he's, the issues, guys, same as last summer. He's not pulling the trigger on throws like he used to be. He was such an aggressive thrower in 17 and 18. He developed this habit last year of being indecisive and not throwing it. I don't know why it's happening. But it's definitely happening, uh, from what I'm told. Uh, so Sudfeld and Doug was pointedly asked this today: Is he definitively their number two quarterback? Is there a competition at that spot uh, with Jalen Hurts? He's definitely Sudfeld's definitely the number two, and it's kind of what I was just alluding to. You, you have to be careful with Jalen Hurts. Uh, they have a developmental program for him. It was not for him to be the number two quarterback. To me, it's more about would you would you re-sign a guy like Josh McCown? Like they that he wasn't asked that, uh, and he did say Sudfeld is number two. But they've got this week and next week net, training camp ends for the Eagles next Friday. Then the week after that, they start game planning for Week One, and then the following week after that is Week One. Uh, so when you look at Sudfeld, he needs to get himself going here. I'm uh, someone I'm going to be monitoring. He's definitely the number two, but if he continues to struggle a little bit. Um, we may have something else going on here, so we'll see. Yeah, and that's interesting. You know, Doug was also asked about Jalen Hurts, about what's impressed so far, and then he said, oh, you want me to reveal the game plan with them? And, uh, you know, the follow-up was kind of like, yeah, that would be great. Uh, so is there a game plan that you're sensing from Hurts outside of the backup quarterback uh, competition? Yeah, there's no question about it. What, what Jeff Mosher and I had said in our just in our shows on Inside the Birds since uh, the draft, he won't just be a quarterback. He's, he, you might see him in, inside the five-yard line as a Wildcat quarterback. You, there are certain things that you can do with him. You could use him in red zone situations. To me, it was never about him just being a quarterback for this season. Now, now by the way, the key for him to dress each week is his understanding of the offense understand, and his understanding of what they're asking him to do. And They're down to three quarterbacks. They didn't need four because Kyle Aletta was not needed because they don't have any preseason. But, again, to sum it up for Hurts, you can't give him the whole package this early because he just has not had enough reps. I know people are excited, and it's cool, but he's got a long ways to go. 
Uh, Adam Kaplan, Inside the Birds podcast. Make sure you guys uh, all are checking that out for Daily Intel uh, on the Eagles, uh, the latest podcast uh, from Inside the Birds and InsideTheBirds.com. Let's go to Jalen Rieger. What opened up my eyes yesterday? He said he got a little Julio Jones in his game. I guess Rieger said that, but uh, uh, I don't think the size matches Julio Jones, but maybe yeah. the skill set. Uh, but what is Rieger's role in this offense? Is it bigger than maybe we thought now that we're seeing him at camp? And has he exceeded maybe where they thought he would be? Yeah, Jalen Rieger is a guy that, it's really interesting. So, uh, a uh, an eagle source said to me that they've never had anyone quite like him. Typically, when Mike, when you look at speed receivers, they're either tall and 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 not so fast, or they're smaller and fast, but not put together physically. He happens to be okay. He's under five eleven, but he's fast and he's really really strong. He's built like a bodybuilder in a way. I mean, he's just super developed, but he's super fluid and explosive. You're talking about one of the best punt returners in college football over the last couple of years, so he's 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 probably going to be their punt returner. It's not been decided yet, as, as I'm told, but he probably will be. Uh, you're going to see him line up in the slot. You're going to see him line up out wide. Uh, you're going to see him uh, be on the move. And I he, he's going to get a ton of snaps in week one, even, even if um, Alshon Jeffrey's back in the first month, which I know is possible from what I'm told. Rager's still going to play a heck of a lot, and he's going to be a fun guy, Mike, because the way you ask the question is really interesting. They're not going to use him as a traditional, just line him up in one spot. They're going to line him up in a variety of spots, and don't be surprised to see uh, Rager and Jalen Hurts on the field at some point this season. Hmm, that would be interesting. How about Deshaun Jackson? How is he looking out there? Great. The, the, he looks incredible. In fact, uh, Hunter, they, they don't need to practice him very much. He's just, I mean, he's... You know about the, the, the injury history, particularly with soft tissue? They don't need to overwork him. He still looks good. Uh, he's developed his lower body very well, and he's going to be a major factor. You know last year, the first game of the season, the only game he really played, two 50-yard-plus touchdowns against the same opponent they're playing week one this year, the Washington football team, and this one will be in Washington, but he looks incredible. Uh, he's just it's You're talking about guys, one of the best deep threats in NFL history, who's absolutely positively lost nothing when it comes to speed. Uh, that'll be uh, interesting to see if he can stay healthy, obviously, will be the big thing for Deshaun Jackson and having both those guys possibly. What about J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? Uh, what are we hearing about him? He's been a little hurt. Uh, what have we seen on him? Because it looked like the receivers to start this week at camp did not include him in the uh, first group. Yeah, he came back. Uh, he missed some time. I believe he came back. Uh, I don't know how much he's practicing, but... The key for him is, you know, Mosher had said on our show uh, last week, and it was surprising that they were lining him up in the slot. Now, he would be a different slot, kind of like Jordan Matthews. Matthews at 6'3", Arthago White's out at 6'2", even. It gives you a different look because Rager is going to be playing a lot on the outside, not, not so much inside. And, and really, the only true slot they have is Greg Ward on the football team. So this, this gives them a different sort of way to use him. And then we should also mention... John Hightower and Quez Watkins. Hightower uh, had a very good day today. And he's explosive, but these are both developmental players. I think people, I know they're excited about both guys. You just got to let these guys develop. I, I, don't, I don't expect them. If Jeffrey does not come back in September and both are on the football team, it's still Jackson, it's Rager, it's Ward, it's Ortega Whiteside, and I, I don't see the other two kids playing a lot, although people seem to be excited about them. 
What's going on with the offensive line, specifically Sayamalu and Mayalata? I do know I, I saw something about Andre Dillard going in, then going out, then going in, going out. So what's going on with the uh, offensive line as of now? Yeah, so Dillard has a minor injury. Uh, he's been uh, limited in practice. Uh, I'm told that Jordan Mailata is lined up in his spot at left tackle. He's also got snaps at right tackle behind Lane Johnson. Isaac Sayamalu has uh, probably had his best camp as a professional. His first two years, guys, it did not look very good for him in 16 or 17. Uh, lacked a little bit of confidence in himself, and he needed—he just needed to perform consistently in practice, and 18 was his breakout season. He's the kind of guy, when you look at his career, he has a very good chance to be a 10- to 12-year starter. He's just a really good football player, but, again, didn't look like this the first two years, but he's turned out to be a, a really good third-round pick out of an historic class 2016. Now, uh, obviously, the Andre Dillard, uh, the story has been him adding the weight. Jason yep. Peters at right guard. Uh, for the first time, we saw him line up there the other day. I mean, did he? Uh, is there anything about uh, how he felt there or what he looks like at that spot yet? Yeah, remember, he did miss some time. It, it's a work in progress, as is explained to me. Um, he's a guy they're not going to Jack Driscoll. I know Driscoll's doing long camp. It's, it's, it's Jason Peters. He just he doesn't have a lot of time here because again it's this week it's next week and the weekend after that is is week one started starting for that for the preparation. I, I don't know. See the way to explain to me is don't think he's going to look great the first two or three weeks because this is something he's not done before, and he didn't have twenty four plus practices in the off season to make it look right. So and remember he wasn't even there anyway for their off season because he had not signed a contract. So uh, I think you got to be patient. It's a good question. I don't think it's going to look good. In fact, their offensive line, remember, they've got two new starters in Dillard and Peters playing right guard. Do not expect it to look great early on. Now, you mentioned Driscoll, and it sounds like, uh, by the way, did you realize that Peterson thought he's smart? He said he's smart, he's smart, he's a smart player, very <laughs> athletic. Sounds like a guy that he has, uh, you know, at least has his eye on. Yeah, and Jack Driscoll, here's the, here's the thing. We don't know who the long-term replacement is for Jason Kelsey. I'm told that Driscoll took snaps at center at, at Auburn. Hmm. Uh, Someone I'm going to look into is if they're if they're cross-training him at all at center because I know Nate Herbig's there and he was he was a good find for the Eagles as an undrafted free agent. But they do not know who Kelsey's long-term guy is going to be replacement. Isaac Samalo could do it. He was actually drafted to be that guy, but he wound up being a really good left guard. So I don't see them moving him. But I'll tell you what, Driscoll's taking snaps at right tackle. He's taking snaps at guard and. He's done a good job. Uh, look, he's going to make the football team. The only question is, guys, when you look at their their alignment, we know that Mylotta right now, as is explained to me, is her top backup tackle. Pryor's a top backup guard. Other than that, these spots are open. They probably will keep nine. Herbig should be one. Well, Driscoll's definitely one of them. Herbig should be the other. And that's kind of be it, but where they, how they line them up is certainly in question. Adam Kaplan's with us, Football at Four, from the Inside the Birds podcast, and of course, uh, Football at Four every day here on the Sports Bench. I want to go back to the running back question real fast on Sanders. Sure. It, it, he's not going to be out for an extended period of time, is what we're saying, but if he was, would they feel comfortable with Corey Coleman, Elijah Holyfield, and Mike Warren going in, or at that point, would they, if, in other words, if Sanders was hurt more than he is, would they be all right going into the season with those guys? It's a great question. My sense is because Clement is having a good camp. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about him. And he, this is right now. He's off to a. I would say this. 
the the 18 and 19 camps were not great. He had been coming off surgery both years. Um, but I, the way that he looks, they're very happy. Boston Scott has a minor injury, but he, he's fine. My sense is it's going to be they're going to keep four running backs. Obviously, Sanderson, Scott, Clement, and then one of the three young kids, Holyfield, Warren, or Killens. Right now, they don't seem to be inclined to sign a veteran running back. Uh, we know the only guy that's out there of any note uh, is Devontae Freeman. And other than that, they haven't really looked at doing anything. So right now, they're not doing anything. But, man, it is amazing, by the way, that Devontae Freeman has not signed a contract. He wants too much money, and that's kind of where that is. Switching to the defensive side of the ball, do you sense that any adjustments are coming? Yeah, this is what we had, we had alluded to, uh, Mike and, and, and Hunter, on the segment a couple months ago. But I wasn't sure if it was going to happen because of the missed offseason. So what you're going to see, really for the first time since Jim Schwartz has been with the Eagles, is you're going to see a bunch of moving parts here. He's not, they don't run a lot of post-snap disguise. They, they're not going to fool you on defense because they have not had the, the help at the back end, particularly a cornerback. Well, they've got it now with Darius Slay, who's been tremendous, by the way. He's been everything they thought more so far. Uh, they think that Nicole Roby Coleman's a terrific slot corner. He's he's there. He'll come in a nickel. And here, remember the name Will Parks, number twenty-eight, who came over from Denver. They're going to have a lot of three safety alignment with Parks, with McLeod, and, and Mills. And I'm telling you, they're going to be doing some different things on defense, which you haven't seen before from Jim Schwartz. You just couldn't do it before because they've not had the help in the back end and. Uh, that's important, and I think the defense could take a big step up this season based on what I've heard. Yeah, and I guess a lot of that is, too, all, how much of that is because of Slay and if we expect to see yep. him kind of moving around. He will, because they're going to play man. They're going to play man, and they're actually going to move. They're going Because when they played man, they don't switch sides, but they, where the guy doesn't trail, the, the, the best receiver. Well, that's going to happen this year for the first time since Schwartz has been here. The Eagles, they're in the upper half of man coverage anyway for cornerbacks, uh, and they're going to do a lot of it. And you know, it's we know that the linebacker core is not very good. That's that's a fact. But man, this this front four, particularly D tackle, and the safeties, this this is the be- deepest they've been in years in terms of secondary help. This has a chance to be a top ten defense if everybody could just stay healthy for a change. So uh, we just mentioned Slay, and he's going to be moving around. Who's going to be moving around with him on the other side? That's the question, but I don't think it's much. I mean, the Eagles don't want to give Avanti Maddox a job. He's taken a majority, if not all, the first-team reps. It's over as far as I'm concerned. He's, he's the starter. The, the question is now, are they happy enough with Sidney Jones as being the fourth corner? And what would happen if Maddox got hurt? Uh, to me, I think they're in trouble. I just don't think Sidney Jones is the starting quarter. Uh, he's not gotten to the point, Mike, where I think you could, you could you pencil him in as a starting player ever. With, with the Eagles here, uh, they he's only gotten to a certain point. The kid, the good thing is though, he's healthy. There's no question about that from what I'm told. But he just has not taken that step up. Way too inconsistent. And Maddox clearly is a guy they they feel much better about. And he he right now he's their right corner. You talked about how scary this defense could be, especially if that D front is healthy. Should we be concerned about Hargrave's injury? I know that the Eagles are you know. Not happy, but it's not as bad as it could have been, let's say. Should we be concerned about that? No, well, okay, the, the issue is not whether he'll be ready for week one at Washington. The question is this. How effective he's going to be with a pectoral strain? 
Uh, not always easy. Uh, it's got he's got to be able to move the right way. He's got to be able to grab the, the the opponent, and it's not always easy to do that when you have a strained pectoral muscle. Uh, look, it, what you, what happens is when you do this, you're you're stretching fibers in that muscle, and it's got to get back to normal. So they're rehabbing it, and as Mosher said, look, they got lucky because he did it in the weight room. So many of these pector- torn pectoral muscles happen when players are working out lifting weights, and thankfully for the Eagles, it he didn't tear it. But I'll say this, they're incredibly deep at tackle, obviously with Hargrave and Cox. Malik Jackson, who's in the low 280s in terms of his, his weight, is having a good camp. Hassan Ridgeway, who did a good job before he got hurt last season, and uh, Anthony Rush was a good find for them, so they're really good at D-tackle. Uh, Adam Kaplan, Inside the Birds podcast, will leave you with uh, this thought. Today, Doug was asked about you know young players who stood out, and he threw on Quez Watkins, John Hightower, um, uh, Jaquette, the uh, corner. Are these guys that uh, you're hearing have a shot to have a role on this team? It's funny. It's the first time I heard Jaquette's name uh, mentioned by anybody you know, with the Eagles. It's interesting because, look, there's a wonderful opportunity here. For somebody to come out of nowhere and win a quarterback job, that's that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but receiver, again, I just don't see Watkins. Yeah, it's good that uh, you know the, the head coach says that Hightower and Watkins are doing well. But I don't. Again, I don't see them. They're, they're, by the way, they're going to be a twelve personnel offense anyway, which means two tight ends and two wide receivers. And Greg Ward, just one thing on him. Look, he's had a great camp, and they love him. But they're not going to be a three-receiver team very much, so I don't think he's going to get a ton of catches either. Hmm. Uh, last one, too, real quick on the linebackers. You know, Bradley, Edwards, Geary, yeah. you mentioned it's a weak spot. Doug kind of keeps going out and talking about how he likes these linebackers. I'm sure he's trying to prop them up a little bit. But are they surprising so far or not so much? Well, Bradley's done a good job, but let's put it in proper context. There's a reason why he was a six-round pick. There's some certain limitations he has that will prevent him from being a high, high-end high linebacker. The way it's explained to me by Temple Football Sources, great kid, really smart, intuitive, great for locker room, great on special teams, not a great athlete. Um, he, he's just limited in what he can do, and that's why he was a late-round pick. Now, so far, he's flashing. Uh, T.J. Edwards is I'm told been the best linebacker of any player of the seven linebackers they have on the roster. That's great. He's taken a step up. Uh, they're hoping that he'll have a bigger role in terms of pass coverage because last year it was certainly not his forte. Nick Gary's been their best linebacker, I, I would say, um, you know, last two years. But I don't think that's saying very much, to be honest with you. Uh, so th- th- this is a this is look. Let's call it like it is. This is a weak linebacker core. Uh, they're very young, which is a good thing. They just don't have the talent of other teams. Uh, he's Adam Kaplan, longtime NFL insider. He's from the Inside the Birds podcast, which dropped right now. You could check it out where he and Jeff Mosher dish more on the injuries and performances at training camp. A look at the corners, the quarterbacks, the running back rotation. If you want more football, download the latest version of the Inside the Birds podcast and get it now wherever you listen to podcasts. He is Adam Kaplan. Adam, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Thank you. All right, tomorrow back in the house is Andrew DeCecco for football at four. It's brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. He said the Eagles defense could be top 10. Did you hear that comment? That's yeah. what stuck out to me. Yeah, no I wrote doubt. that one down. 
I highlighted it and circled it. Top 10 defense they could be looking at here. So did I. And then that's why I brought up the injury to Hargrave. Because that concerns me a bit. It's a well, big if he loss. Misses, yeah, if he misses time. It doesn't sound like a, like a long seasoner. It seems like he's going to play through it. But, you know, how effective can he be with something like that? Good question. If he misses, like, the first couple of weeks... I think they can handle it. If he misses like uh, eight weeks, that's a different story. We'll right. see. Uh, on the other side, we're going to get back into this Sixers mess with Tim Legler from ESPN. He'll give us his thoughts on, can you win with Joel Embiid? Are they just simply missing Ben Simmons? Do they need to change the coach, the GM, the culture? we got a lot to ask legs in a short time to do it. Ash on 97.3 ESPN. Hi, right, 4.30, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, and of course you out there. Sports Bash brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call for convenient locations to serve you online at gmslaw.com. Well, Tim Legler was on hiatus for some time, but basketball is back, and now we got games, actions all the time. It's information overload, but he's kind enough to spend some time with us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as... Well, Legs, that was a tough one if you were a Sixer fan last night, and I guess uh, you can place blame all over the place, but uh, how do you kind of uh, take in what you saw last night and, and kind of relay to the fans of what we saw? Is this a team that is just clunkily put together, that has essentially said, I don't want to be in the bubble anymore? Is it, uh, I don't know, what are some more hypotheses that you could come up with? Well, man, there are so many layers to it. Um, I would say, I would say, if I started at the top of what I think the, the number one issue is with this team, I don't think they're well coached. I mean, I'm just going to be blunt about it. I don't think it's a well coached team. And when you, it's it's one thing to just say it. I can back it up factually with just like what good basketball looks like and a well prepared team looks like. And for me, if just using last night as a microcosm, their defensive preparation on what they were about to face. Um, was comical, really, at what they were trying to do on ball screens. And, and look, this is a ball screen league, so there are about six different areas to playing team defense. Um, so defending ball screen is pro- no, without question number one on that list because it happens every time down the floor, and in most possessions you get it multiple times. That's just the way the league is now, and it's been that way for a while. So how you defend ball screens is going to determine how your night goes defensively. Now, effort plays into it, certainly, but just in terms of schematics, how you're going to defend screens, you're going to give yourself a chance. If you've got a good, well-prepared game plan, it's something you work on every day, it's something that is brought to accountability in the film room, you start it the first day of training camp, you make it a priority every day in practice, it's repetition, 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 the right way, communication, and then what happens is over time, and you don't do this you know, right at the start of the season, you do this over a period of time, and they had a full training camp practically when they were in Orlando. So, you know, but I'm going back all the way to, you know, training camp before the season started. It, it, this should be something that Brett Brown incorporates. They just don't do it. It's not part of it paying attention to detail with this team. And just give you a real quick an example, and it's a little harder without visual, you know, backup for this. But here's an example, and I did a breakdown on this last night on SportsCenter on this exact topic. There is no reason to be chasing – a guy's handling the basketball over the top of ball screens when they are 35 to 40 feet from the basket. Okay, They did it repeatedly last night in the first half and made no adjustment in the second half. Now what I mean by that is 
Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker, they can make a 30-foot jump shot. They're not going to beat you with that shot. They can make that every once in a while. But when you regularly are going over the top of a screen, 30, 35, 40 feet out sometimes from the basket, you are now basically allowing the ball handler to come off with a free head of steam headed toward the three-point line or more you know, downhill toward the rim, particularly when you're big and bead most of the time. or They're not in the picture. So, so that's the first thing that just needed to be cleaned up. There's no reason that you can communicate that. Just yell out under, under. The guy's 40 feet from the basket, 30 feet from the basket. Go under the screen, meet him on the other side, contain the basketball. So that's one area. And then the second one was on the screen set at 18 feet, like elbow screens, they're going under on those. Now, Kemba Walker, go look at that stretch that he had last night in the second quarter. Kemba Walker walks into like three 18-foot jump shots. Like he's just another dude that can't shoot. He's an all-star that has averaged 25 points a game in this league in a season before. And you're going under on screen set at the foul line, completely backwards, those two concepts. And that just comes from scheme starting day one camp, everyday repetition, pounding it in their heads, making guys accountable, calling them out in the film room, adjusting to it if you're not doing it properly at halftime. None of those things happen. That was just a complete inept defensive performance by the Sixers. People can blame effort. The guards aren't good enough. They don't have Ben. All of that stuff contributes. But you can make up for a lot of that stuff if your team is super prepared and their identity defensively is that they are going to do things you know, according to what is being run and you're going to read it properly, communicate it, and adjust. And they just don't do it. And, and that, for me, would be at the top of the list. And that's just one example of the coaching issue. But, so it's a broad statement. They're not hmm. well coached. That's just one example. I could go into a bunch of stuff offensively, too. But for me, if I had to prioritize the five or six things I would say are wrong with this team, I'd put that at the top of the list. Uh, that's a, uh, there was an article at ESPN.com today, Brian Windhorst wrote, and he writes, Brown has tried everything in his coaching bag with this group. It's just not working. And by all yeah. accounts, it's not because he isn't a good coach or because the players have serious issues with one another. It's because the collection of players on this team at this time just doesn't work. So is it roster configuration or is it inept coaching? Um, yeah, and I look, I, think, I know the general mindset out there typically for people that are in the media that critique the NBA, they don't criticize coaches. I mean, they just don't. I mean, you just listen to any, I mean, any analyst pretty much on television, certainly a former coach, they're just never going to say it. And it's always made me scratch my head because if you're basically saying that there is no such thing as bad coaching, then why, even need, why do you even need a coach? <laughs> you know, that's, that's like the line that people take all the time because they don't want to say that. But I'm going to say it because I feel like I've coached a lot of basketball in my life. I know what it's supposed to look like. And I was just, I just put that on a couple of tweets today watching the Miami Heat play. You want to see a well-coached team? You want to see the difference? And you're going to tell me that that, that team's got more overall talent than Philly? It's, it's like comparable. They've got better shooters. You know what they are? They're the smartest team in the league. They're the best passing team in the league. They've got the best player movement in the NBA. They've got ball movement with a purpose. 
Watch how they defend. He mixes up defenses throughout the game. They, they defend pick and roll differently depending on who's running it, which is what you're supposed to do. You don't just have one set of rules for pick and roll and run it the same way, whether it's a non-shooter handling the ball or it's Duncan Robinson. You don't, you don't do it the same way on everybody. Like, that's what good coaching is. So I know guys don't want to say it, but for me, I still think if you had someone that really came in with a purpose with this team and this group of players – um, I think that they would buy into more if they felt like they were more prepared on a nightly basis. And that's why I think sometimes they look like there's a lack of effort. I think it's a lack of belief. I think that's why they get demoralized. The one thing that has stood out to me about this group for the last three years, they do not handle adversity well. They are great as front runners, and they're great at home because, you're, you know, look, you're going to get that extra boost from the people sitting in the stands. But this is a team that when they give up an 8-0 run, watch their body language. Watch the way they react to that stuff when they call timeout. Now they're walking to the bench. No one's talking to each other. Everybody's shoulders drop. They look disgusted. Do you think part of that could be they don't think they're about to get a great set of answers in that huddle as to how to react and respond to what's going on? And so for me, look, part of it is, yeah, I wish Embiid had a better motor. I wish he played hard all the time. Yeah, that's something that's that's innate into him. Uh, I wish Tobias Harris was a guy that, you know, seemed like he wanted it more in these moments. Yeah, those are internal things that Brett Brown can't control. But I also think if they believed more that they, what they were walking out onto the court with in terms of just preparation, man, that gives you confidence as a player. And so you can overcome a lot of things, and it might make you play harder if you feel like you're absolutely prepared for what's about to happen. And there are a number of teams in this league I'll say that about when they take the court. It's obvious, and I I just don't feel that way about the Sixers, and I think that's why they cave when things start to go south in a game. What are some of the issues that you see offensively? One of the things that I can't stand is just trying to get the ball to Embiid seems like a nightmare for some of these players. Yeah, so here's the thing, uh, you know, and I know the NBA is, is different now in that there aren't really any low post-based offenses because there aren't any really guys in the, in the league that, that kill you at the back to the basket. The league is all spread out. Everything's a three. Everybody's facing up. You know, the guys that do play center in this league, they're, they're pick-and-dive guys or they're pick-and-pop three-point shooters. You have a handful of guys in the league you throw the ball into in the low post. And just what happens, the Sixers have the best, the absolute top of the list. So – their offense should probably look different than a lot of these teams, okay, because you have this weapon. And I've said it before, he's the only guy since Shaq in his prime, go back 20 years, that you could run a low post-based offense through if pretty much you know, the majority of your offense and actually win a championship if you're committed to it and you make it a little easier on him. But here's the thing. Go back to the teams that have done that and won titles you know, in recent times. You know, San Antonio with Duncan. Shaq, um, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, the, the, the centers that have won championships, okay, they don't just run up the floor. Carl Malone would be a great example of this as a power player. They don't just run up the floor, put their hand up, wrestle around for a few seconds, end up catching it like 14 feet like off the lane, and then just play back you down ball or, you know, face up and try to make a move and see if we can. That's not really post-up basketball. Though all of those examples I gave you of players, they had cross screens bringing guys into the post. They had back screens rolling them into the post from the top of the key. They had plays where they would run a dribble handoff and then immediately get a back screen as they're handing the ball off 
because you're not prepared to defend that, and now you can roll a guy into the post so that they catch it deeper. They catch it with teams less prepared to double-team you. I feel like the Sixers, every time it goes in, it's because Embiid has run to one side of the floor, he puts his hand up, he wrestles around, the ball is over some passer's head for three seconds, looking in there, looking in there. All five defenders, by the way, have time to absolutely turn, lock in, make sure they're exactly positioned where they're supposed to be because no one is moving on the weak side of the floor. So it's not like you have to worry about turning your head and get back cut because that's not happening. So you just now watch this guy play. And, yeah, look, man, he could be great some nights and make a bunch of shots. He did it in the first half last night. You're not going to win that way. It's exhausting for him. You're not simplifying the game for him. And more importantly, you are making it incredibly easy to defend your team. So, again, it's play design. How much thought is going into we're going to run a low-post-based offense, but here's what we're going to do. This is going to be the five or six different ways to get him into the post in better positions to catch the ball. And, oh, by the way, we're going to run weak side action while the ball's going in to occupy guys on the weak side of the floor so they can't just turn and watch and be ready to go on his spin moves, and that's why he turns the ball over so much. Because nobody is worried about any action from their guy. They're, all the eyes are looking at Embiid. And it's because there's just stagnancy yeah. on the weak side. And again, that is 100% coaching. That's just design, play construct. How are we going to get better player and ball movement and get my best player in a position where he catches the ball in better positions to be more efficient and also leads to stuff on the weak side of the floor if double teams do come? I don't know if any thought even goes into it. When I watch them play, uh, Tim, so, Legler, Tim Legler's there are, with sorry, this. There are limitations with some of these guys right now. Their guards are very limited. Yeah. I agree with that, but you can overcome it. You can overcome it, and I just, I just, I don't think enough has been done to adjust to the players that you have and to give them enough belief so that you get that absolute hundred percent. You know, elbows dirty effort every night. Uh, for years, they had Allen Iverson, a great player. They could never figure out what to do around him. Are they going to find similar fate with these two guys that they just don't know and can't find the right guys to put around them? And can those two guys, do they have to make a decision? Well, I'm hoping that, you know, if, if look, if this, if this flames out, and, you know, I heard Stephen A. Smith say if they get swept, Brett Brown's fired. I don't know that it has to be a sweep. I'm not sure that he survives a five-game loss, six-game loss, I don't know, in the first round. I don't know when this team was expected to win a championship. I know you don't have Ben Simmons. But Ben Simmons wasn't going to be the reason you won a championship. You had to have enough other pieces. So you know, all these teams are losing guys. They've lost guys at different times. So for me, you know, they lose this series five games or so, even if they win one. I still think they're going to make a change. And if Elton Brand brings in the right guy, that brings in the right staff, and Elton Brand – you know, is, is, you know, he's a guy that can tinker with, with some of your parts around those two players. I'm not of the impression they can't play together. I just think they need a whole lot of hands-on maintenance with how they run their offense. And, and you can absolutely coexist with these two players. I would not give up on the two of them playing together. I think that would be a mistake. Um, and so we'll see what happens going forward, depending on how this season ends. But I don't think there's any question they lose this series you know, quickly, I think there's going to be a change. And I think we'll see who they bring in if a new voice and a new vision for how they want to play. And more importantly to me, accountability. I don't think this team has any. 
I don't think they've got any accountability. I don't think they've got accountability to make Joel Embiid get in the best shape of his life so he can play the 34 minutes he plays. It's all 34 minutes of demanding the ball, running the floor, getting into the post, all that. You know, he's never pushed himself to that limit physically. You know, so that's accountability. Accountability for defensive mistakes. It's accountability. I don't think they have any. And so whoever comes in, that's the first thing. Look, guys, there's a reason that we made a coaching change, and here's how we're going to do things, and you are going to do things the way I want you to, and I'm going to make you accountable for that. And if, if people think that you can't coach modern players that way, well, then, you know, you're going to be stuck with watching a lot of this. You know, that's why I laughed when they hired Thibodeau in New York, and people are like, oh, my God, what are the, how are these young guys going to play for a guy like that? He's too tough. I'm thinking, is that where we are now in sports and in society? We can't demand things of players, of students, of kids that you're raising. Like, it's crazy to me. Um, so sometimes you need that, man. You need a firm hand, and you need someone to show you, not just tell you what to do, but show you why this is a better way. And I hope that's where they go with whatever decisions they make going forward. Really good stuff. Tim Legler, ESPN, keeping you busy. Of course, uh, we had a game today. Miami beat Indiana. We got a live one going on. It's like the NCAA tournament every single day in that Orlando bubble. Um, let me ask you this. We kind of made the comment that this restart was almost like, you know, like these guys are the 20, 2021 versions of themselves playing in the 2019, 2020 season. So you're seeing like a new version of Luka Doncic, even though it's last season. So with those kind of things, are you going to see some upsets in these first rounds? Yeah, and I said that all along, there were going to be upsets. Uh, you know, and, and it certainly looks like we could be headed there. It's early in these series, so who knows. But, yeah, and the reason I thought there would be, because every team is going to handle this layoff differently. So regardless of where you were when this thing shut down and, and what the status was of your guys, the, everything about this is different. It feels different. There is a adrenaline that is missing that's not created for you because of the environment. There is no 20,000 people sitting there when you run out to the floor for layup lines, okay, to get you to a place you need to be, even if you're not feeling that emotionally at the time, they'll get you there, okay? So knowing that everybody in this flat, you know, condensed environment, not everybody's going to handle it the same way. Teams collectively and also individuals, and you just don't know who it's going to affect. So I, I was under the impression all along, like there are going to be upsets in the first round because look at a team like Milwaukee, for instance, the other night. That was a team that looked to me like, oh, my goodness. You talk about a team that is going to pay the price for not being able to play four out of seven in every series in their building when they were 28-3. and three. That's them. Philly's another team in that boat as well because Milwaukee did not look close to the same team the other night defensively. And I'm saying, wow, there you go. There's an, now, I'm not saying Orlando will win that series. I don't think they've got enough talent to win the series. But it it's, it's goes along the lines of you just don't know who's going to react well to it, who isn't. And so as a result, a lot of this stuff's up in the air. And you've got you know, Dallas right now doing whatever they want to the Clippers. You're talking about another disappointing team in the West. For me, it's the Clippers because so far because this was supposed to be, on paper, one of the best defensive teams we've ever seen with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Patrick Beverly on the court together. Dallas has done whatever they want to do, and if Kristaps Porzingis didn't get ejected the other night, they might be up 2-0 in this series. And, man, do they look comfortable. All of their guys are comfortable, especially their star. That's a problem for the Clippers, who look like they thought they could just show up, and because of the names on the paper, they could get through this round. 
And, and that's not the case. And I think now they've got cold water in their face a little bit. They're, I think they're going to wake up, and I think they'll get through this series. But, you know, it it's all relates to who can create the internal energy that you need without having some external force created for you in terms of a home court advantage. And, and that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to see right now, and that's why I do think you're going to see some upsets. Real quick, if one L.A. team doesn't advance, which one is the one that gets knocked out? Out of the first round? Yeah. I would say it would be the, the Lakers. So Portland would beat the Lakers. Dallas yeah. would lose. Those yeah, two I, series. I, you know, and I, I said going into the Portland Lakers series um, that L.A. was going to – I said it that night before the game tipped. L.A. is going to dig themselves a hole in this series because it, it just made sense to me. Number one, you haven't played a meaningful game since mid-March. Not one game in Orlando that they played meant anything to them. Okay, you're shorthanded too. Two of the guards you need to guard uh, – Lillard, Rajon Rondo, and, and Avery Bradley aren't there. Two, you're playing a team that just played basically nine playoff games in a row because every game they had since they landed in Orlando, or Portland had to win. And you've got now a top ten player in the NBA that has gone to another planet. That Now you've got to corral this, and they get two bigs back. Nurkic is playing great. So I just saw it all setting up. Like The Lakers are going to get punched in the mouth at the start of this. Now, it's a best of seven. Fortunately for them, we're not back in like 1983 when it was like best of three in the first round where they, they could be going home. Best of seven means over time the more dominant team will win. And I think the Lakers will get there and LeBron will make sure of it. But I will not be shocked if they have to come back from, say, like 2-1 deficit, something like that, to win this series. I think they will hold on. I think, I think the Clippers ultimately – when they really start to dig in defensively, I think they can start to frustrate Luka a little bit more than you've seen to this point. He can start to get outwardly emotional, and I think that's when they're in a bad spot. Hasn't happened yet, so let's see. You know, I might be wrong about that. Maybe they just never really make the adjustments and they just continue to operate like this, but I think the Clippers are going to be okay. So if one of those teams goes down, you ask me to lay money on it tomorrow, I'd say the Lakers would be more likely. This version of Luca looks like a different version than the one that was in March, uh, and that one was pretty darn good. He's Tim Legler, ESPN, coverage of the NBA, Sixers tomorrow night, 6.30, right here on 97.3. Legs, appreciate it as always, pal. My pleasure. Thank All you. right. He, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. lot to uh, unpack from that conversation, and an eye-opening conversation, I'm sure, for many out there as well. The makeup of this team and much, much more. He is Tim Legler. I'm Mike Gill.